Would you like an opinion on a financial matter you're dealing with? Whether it's about retirement, investments, taxes, or 401ks, Scott Hansen and Pat McLean would like to help you by answering your call. To join Allworth's Money Matters, call now at 833-99-WORTH. That's 833-99-WORTH. Welcome to Allworth's Money Matters. Scott Hansen, Pat McLean. Glad you are with us as we talk about financial matters. Both myself and my co-host here are both practicing financial advisors, certified financial planner, chartered financial consultant, and meet with clients like you during the week. Meet with individuals like you, families like you, and then broadcast on the weekends and via podcast. Glad you are with us. We talk about lots of things financial. Money, savings, that sort of thing. Yeah. Money's a funny thing. It is. um, I've had this conversation with many clients. To think about money is, in today's modern society is... Uh, for most people, the retirement savings is a store of labor. It is how they stored their li- their labor. You've used the that statement you- for ever since we've been working together, roughly thirty years. And ne- that never re- that doesn't resonate with me. Why I don't not- understand it. Well, because if you think about if you think about how relatively new- it can replace labor. Well, that's what it is. Okay. <laughs> it can mean so I don't have to use my own labor Correct. to generate the revenue. Correct. But, but retirement, the idea of retirement and being self-sufficient retirement is a relatively new concept yes. in the and history. for most of the world, it's still it's yes. it's, out it's, of touch. It's really a, a first world uh, 100%. <laughs> yes. economic model. But so like my great, great grandparents moved in with my grandparents when they quit working. What? They didn't have a retirement community and a fifth wheel and stuff? <laughs> no? They were, they were a walk-up in downtown Pittsburgh. A what? A walk-up. What's a walk-up? Oh, you go up the stairs, and then there were three oh, stories, yeah, yeah. and the top story with the, you know, the, the people that had the, the poorest health lived on the first floor, and then the... And then the there were three different units? Three different units. You could combine them, but each of them had their own kitchen, and oh. so they all... You know, three, nice. Essentially, three generations could live in the same building. Hmm. And they weren't like, you know, 1,500 square feet. I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. It was so we're, a, now, we're going down a different path. <laughs> there we go. So my point is, I think what I'm getting at, it, if, if the pursuit of, of wealth in and of itself is the goal, you're never really going to achieve that goal because it's, it's that, that financial security can be somewhat elusive. Yes. If it's if it's just the finances, I mean, the financial security and the peace with having financial security is not necessarily based upon a number, the size of your savings. It's the confidence you feel in the money you have. That's right. That's what it is. Correct. More than anything. Yes. Well, first you need some money saved. Yeah. After that, it's it's having that confidence. Which is and the confidence oftentimes comes from the right kind of planning and the right kind of uh, portfolio construction and monitoring. Which is in retirement, why you want a portion of your portfolio in fixed assets so that in there's downturns in the market, like you're like we're experiencing now. Now you don't sell off those those assets, which are normally appreciating. They're mostly appreciating, but it isn't a straight line of appreciation. And so you want safer assets in the portfolio to, to sell when you need that income so you're not selling those assets that are beaten down a little bit. Yeah. Anyway, we should probably take some calls. If you want to be part of our program, we'd love to talk, hear from you. 833-99-WORTH is the number. 833 6784 And that's the same number you could call if you want to join us on March 29th where we're just going to open up the phone lines and take calls from 3 to 5 Pacific. Yeah, March 29th and 3 to 5 Pacific. Um, and you can also schedule time by emailing questions at moneymatters.com. We're in Tennessee talking with Ken. Ken, you're with Allworth's Money Matters. Hi, guys. Thank you for taking my call. And I initially had a question on IRAs, but I'm going to call it a stored labor question. Oh, thank you. Hey, before your question, you're in Tennessee. Are you a native of Tennessee or are you a transplant to one of the hot markets in the country, Tennessee? 
I left the Golden State and came to Tennessee. And when, so then the retirement stuff, it's all going to tie together here. Oh, right. when, did you, when did you move to Tennessee, just out of curiosity? Just. Just this summer, I retired from working in the state. I'm sorry, in the state of California. And then I retired and then moved out. And what part of Tennessee did you move to? What's Nashville? It? Nashville. And yes, the, the market is just as hot as you would think that That's it would it? be here. Yeah. I have a number of friends that have moved to Franklin. Franklin's like, <laughs> I was in Franklin for the first really time in like a year and a half ago. I felt like I was in Yauntville or uh, St. Helena yeah. or something, a Napa town. It's, it was a, uh, it's where the Natchez Trace Trail ends is in Franklin. That's correct. I, I yeah. rode, I rode the, I rode on my bicycle. I rode the Natchez about five years ago, but let's, we can't go <laughs> yeah. through all that. Anyway, what's your question for us? I am 60 years old. I just got married uh, for my second time. I have a pension from the state of California, and that pension meets my financial needs of my monthly obligations. I can live within my pension. And I actually end up having a couple of dollars left over from the pension. But during my career, I did the things and stored my labor and had a 401 and a 457 with the state. And then in December of this year, I rolled those all over into an IRA. And what's so the then that's where my what's oh, the ahead. amount what's the amount in that account? One million five hundred. And what's your question for us? I want to know when I could and should ever access that money or do Roth conversions with it. I'm sixty years old, and I'm wondering if I ever can touch this money because I don't really need it, and I don't want to make mistakes with it because I would think that uh, a strategy might be why would you ever want to pay tax on money that you don't need? But I figure that I have these 12 years between now yep. and when somebody else is telling me when I take it, if I should begin a distribution of it. Well, yeah. let's, let's, let's pretend like you don't do anything until you required minimum distribution, right? That's yes, 12, 12 years from now. Let's assume it doubles over that 12 years. Which would be a 6% annualized return. Okay. So that's fairly realistic. Now we're at $3 million. Your required minimum distribution based upon current rules would be about $120,000 your first year. So how much is your monthly pension that you're receiving from the state of California? About $8,000 a month. So $96,000 a year gross. And does your yes, a new spouse have a job? She does, and she's going to retire as a teacher, but she can suspend her pension. Her pension is the STRS program, and it works a little bit more like Social Security. So she can defer it wait for it uh, for a little while and then activate it. And that's why I thought I might have the window of opportunity where our income will never be lower than it is with just this pension. And a Tennessee is a no income tax state. Yep. Yeah. And how uh, old is she? She is 49. Okay. And she can defer until age 62. Is that correct? I thought it was 60, but it could be 62. And her first eligible age would be 55. And we were going to defer right through that one. Got it. And, and does your were you married before you retired? I was not, so my pension okay. dies with me. Got it. So, I mean, from a planning standpoint, I really look at that four hundred one k is designed to. Well, you're a brand new, you're newlywed still. And so, how much would her pension be if she deferred till age fifty five? I'm guessing it would probably be about 3000 maybe as much as $4,000 a month. Okay. From, a, from a planning financial planning standpoint, you clearly have a great window of opportunity um, between now and the time Social Security kicks in. And really, to what you're already thinking about is having her defer her pension. She retires. There's no income coming in from there, from her on that portion. And you can start converting some to a Roth. The thing that... If uh, if I were her financial advisor, yes, I was my, thinking the same. Scott, go on. My concern would be like, what protection is there uh, in the event of a future divorce or that sort of thing? That's like, or, or death. And I do understand that. I understand those risks, but I was looking at just the risks I could see right now. Well, and so I, I do understand that, and that was something that we really had to work out as she's leaving uh, her job earlier than her full retirement yep, yep, age. Yep. But for either of us, our Social Security is likely to be zero. Because of the offset. That's correct. Um, 
So I'm, I'm looking so, at that to be about zero. And my tax rate is about, I don't know if it's 24, but I do know my next dollar earned is currently at about 17%. That's right. So, so I thought I had some. So you, you know exactly what to but, do. You, so just assume that you're going to actually. Uh, when is she going to retire or when could she retire? She is leaving the job. So she's going to separate rather than retire at the end of this school year. Okay. So I would I would do some serious consideration of converting some this year and then probably convert more in 2023 and beyond. And, and you, it's this kind of thing you can do the planning every year. And you, yeah. you've got until December 31st to do the conversion. I would wait till later later in the year, early December, right. late November or whatnot, to do the conversion. But I think if you and if you run right. the numbers, I mean the odds are would are in your favor that it's going to be to your benefit to do some Roth conversions, just based on non, the size you've got in your four hundred one k. Well, there's no yeah. The question is how much, and the and the answer to that is whatever the, the whatever the the numbers tell us. But you you want to until it hurts. Yeah. Uh, until I get into a next tax bracket or something, yeah. where where my sixteen to twenty percent uh, additional dollar tax Thank you. might jump into like a thirty five percent bracket. I'm guessing. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. and they're hard brackets. It goes from twelve percent to twenty-two percent. There's a so you said that that seventeen percent number doesn't quite jive with the tax rates, but um, yeah, that was my incremental. And so I think I'm in that mm -hmm. twenty-two, whatever that bracket is. But okay. each additional dollar, if I take my taxable income and divide my taxes by it, well, that's, that's your average 15, tax rate. That's the average so tax my rate. Average tax rate. That's the actual. Yeah. And so what and you're looking at is the incremental, which is twenty two percent, which that's is the, the incremental. So when you meant quoted, you said incremental earlier. I think you meant to say Whatever. average. But that's what you want to do is the math and determine uh, what you want to do there. And I, I trust that you and your wife have a living trust. Well, we're getting all of these things situated because we just got married, and so we're just doing the move, and we are trying to put all of the okay. the smart moves. And do you together. both have kids from previous marriages, or does she still have kids of at course. home? Or the kids she all has a, a high schooler right now who's graduating, which is the the wait for okay. for the move. And so, yeah, it has to be as complicated as possible. I have one; she has two children. Yeah, yeah this is the right. I mean, some serious planning needs to go on on here because this is a lot, a lot of moving parts. Um, but the answer to the original question was, yes, the Roth, uh, you want to do it, figure out how much. And then the other things that you want to do is make sure that you actually have a living trust with protections for both you and her for the house and maybe even some income needs at, um, at, at either of your deaths. I was using beneficiaries right now because basically all assets, with the exception of the house, which is just a simple down payment, just beneficiaries on the uh, the type of accounts because I have taxable accounts and tax deferred accounts as well. How much? And so I was trying to go through those. Yeah. So it, uh, so yeah, you need you need some um, high level estate planning here. Level. Yeah, not that's high level. I, it's yeah. more. It's it's it. You need to think through all the various scenarios. You you you're not gonna you're not gonna get the estate plan uh, th that if you pick up the Franklin Gazette and see uh, nine ninety five is living trust. You do not want that. Well, no. I think the issue. I mean, if if I were your 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 wife's brother, I would say, look, before you, you out of your mind, you're retiring at fifty. You're going to take a less pension. This you just married this guy. Like, how do we? What happens if it doesn't work out? What happens if it's four years down the road and he leaves you like then what happens now you're stuck on this lower pension the rest of your life because you because of this like you need some assurances before you do this that's what i would be advocating and advising if i were her brother so th it's those sort of issues i think is what you're pointing towards Pat. right and in case of death and a case of death right something happens so if you name and you don't want to inherit you don't want to disinherit your kids that's either. right that's my point is so that, having the right. better having right. individuals listed is probably the wrong thing you probably want a separate trust maybe a, a a trust that only exists for the purposes of being a bene uh, the beneficiary on Thank that you. retirement account that would provide income while your spouse is still around and whatnot. And then the, re the, the, the main corpus goes to the kids when she eventually passes or at some age or whatever. And I do understand that. I mean, we did just get married, but we did not just get together. We've been together for a very long time. And so we just did the uh, not tying situation here. Okay. But again, it wasn't like a whirlwind romance where there's no history. Okay. I okay. wasn't saying that, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so these are, t look at, they're, they're, they're 
It's easy when a young couple is both broke and they get married when yeah. they're 25, right? That's not the Well, this isn't thing. like the 90 day fiance thing where you met her online and then <laughs> you got to get married in 90 <laughs> days because they're coming from a foreign country. It's not one of those, right? Nope. That's what I heard. It was not. All right, so good. We, we, we've been doing some of the plans along the way. Nope. But it sounds like it needs to get a little bit more uh, yeah. filled up now. Ken, you, you, you know what you're doing. You, you, yep. You know what you're doing. I think doing. the exact right, right way to be thinking about it. Yep. So I appreciate the call. Be consider. Thank you. Right, Thank thanks, you. Dan. And we look, when, if, for second marriages, this is a big deal. Having things structured properly because. You take a situation that's just like we, somebody we spoke to, right? Um, you get your beneficiary, your largest accounts, probably your your company retirement account, one point right? five million dollars. You list the kids as beneficiaries. Should you die, you die. Suddenly, there's not any money there to provide for your new spouse. You say, "Well, I don't want to do that." So you list your new spouse. You die. Suddenly, the new spouse inherits all the, the dollars. Might really love your kids and all that, but. They don't. They're not required to actually give them any of the time, money. Time goes on, years go go by, beneficiary designation gets changed, or perhaps a remarriage gets transferred to somebody else. Now, so sometimes you just say seventy percent is going to go to the spouse, thirty percent will go to the kids. Sometimes you set up a, a trust that actually doles the money I, out of. I mean, I think of a, a, a personal experience I had years ago where somebody, um, second marriage, spouse passed away. And the the surviving spouse was doing everything in that individual's power, and I can't even say this, everything in their power to see to it that these kids would get as little as possible. Everything in that person's power. And they're a client. I had a fiduciary interest to act on their best interest, but every part of me, everybody would like cringe inside, like, yeah, but yeah, it just um, happened. And I'm thinking, had it, had the right documents been set up to begin with, and had it structured properly, and to your point, not doing the like the free estate plan, making it as simple as possible. Yes. You, when I say advance, you you want uh, just think through all those scenarios. Well, oftentimes people don't know what to think through, so the good estate planning attorney will actually say, "Here's the six options. Let's talk about them." Oh, and then, by the way, it doesn't have to be one of the six. It can be a combination of one, three, and right. five. And you're probably not going to ever have a perfect solution either. No. So, All right, we're continuing. We're uh, talking with Curtis. Curtis, you're with Allworth's Money Matters. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Thank you. My, my question is kind of a two-part question in, in relating to my, my son. Actually, I have two sons. One is one's on the way, so we're not quite... Um, not quite two two kids, but so we have two kids soon. All right, and we're wondering about how to uh, gift them money, leave them money, but also not just for us. Uh, the grandparents want to be giving them money every year, and we want to figure out what the best way to go about that is. Right now, uh, we did put thirty thousand set aside in a five twenty nine. Uh, for the first one. Wow. How old is your f- first child? Two. Wow. Okay. Uh, and then we have another 30,000 kind of earmarked for the second child. Um, we just don't know if that's the best way to start it or if we should put that towards paying down our house. We don't have any other, we don't have any other debt except for our house. Um, what do you owe on so your home? Kind of wondering. Uh, about five hundred thousand. What's the value of the home? Um, about nine fifty, maybe a million. And uh, what's the family income? You and your spouse. It's kind of changed a bit with all that's going around, but uh, I think we're we're still over about one hundred and thirty thousand. We were a bit higher, but then there's been some changes. With and how did you manage to save sixty and, grand for uh, kids' college costs already? How old are you? Uh, Thirty-nine. Okay. All right. So, so we're, we're good. We're good savers. We've had good income, uh, and then this this actually this money was actually an inheritance from my grandmother, and we just didn't need it. So okay. We just rolled it over to. Uh, all right. Thank I, you. That, I think for particularly for those dollars, that five twenty nine works fantastic. Yeah, and I would continue to fund the five twenty nine with any excess dollars. 
Um, I would buy, I'd make sure that I had a big life insurance policy on both you and your spouse, uh, like in excess of a million dollar term insurance policy. Okay. But, uh, so, so the, here are your, your options. Okay. These are your options for having money set aside for the kids. 529 plans work great because they grow tax deferred. If the money's used for education expenses of a variety of sorts, could be plumbing school, whatever, uh, it, the money comes out tax-free. So all that growth has been tax-free. If it's not used for education expenses and once it gets spent on some other means, then there's taxes that are due on that gain, plus there's a 10% penalty on it. So it's not great for money that you want to earmark for other purposes. It's great, but great for education. And you can also, you can change the beneficiaries in the future. So there's excess money after your kid goes through college. You could say, I'm just going to wait. And when I've got a grandkid, I'm going to list them as the beneficiary of this account or whatever. It gives you a lot of uh, flexibility there. But the downside is it, it must be used for education purpose. So if you're, if you're saying, all right, well, I, I want to have a, something set aside just for the benefit of my, my kid regardless, well, you've got a couple options there. One is you can set up what's called a Uniform Transfer to Minors Act or a Uniform, Transfer, a Uniform Gift to Minors Act, UTMA or UGMA. And with these, the, your first, uh, what is it, 800 bucks a year, 900 bucks a year in interest is tax-free. Second, 800 bucks or whatever. Is it's tax- been indexed, so I don't know actually yeah. remember what the, the number is. The second is. Is, is taxed at the kid's rate, and then after that it goes taxed at the parent's rate. It's a way to it's a way to get money into the kid's name when the child reaches age of maturity. It's different in different states, but it's twenty one, maybe push to twenty four. The dollars are there, theirs regardless. Okay, the dollars are the kids regardless. I uh, can yeah. think of a that, per- personal. That's all. That's all still taxed at the parents' tax rate. Part of it can be. Only the interest above eight hundred or let's double that is tax the parents' uh, tax rate. Yeah, called the kitty tax. They try to get you, um, but any gain later on is not going to be once they're of, of, of but, age of majority. But, but 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 I wouldn't use that. I would and then only the, use the other f- way is to set up a separate trust, which if you're going to give hundreds of thousands or millions, then it could make sense. Otherwise, it's probably not worth. So the best thing for you to do is use the five twenty nine plan. The best thing for your parents to do. When the 529 plan. Is the 529 plan. In fact, they don't have to be the same 529 plan. Your parents can be the owner of their own 529 plan and put money in it for the grandkids. Or can use the one you've got. Either or. I mean, how much are they talking about giving on an annual basis? Is it 500 bucks uh, or 10 grand? Probably 10 grand. Annually. Uh, okay. Annually. Are you maximizing your 401k? We are. So we are, my wife and I are, uh, my in-laws, they don't really have a retirement plan. They have houses and, and, and another business on, on top okay. of that. So they do make a good amount of money every year. And Are they going to give to each child, each that. grandchild, 10 grand a year? I so, think that's their plan, yeah. They, okay. So they were kind of asking me some of these questions, and I was like, I don't. All yeah, right. No, but- if that's the case, then I would probably set up a separate trust for, you could probably set up for one trust for the both of them. I you wouldn't, do. I wouldn't. What I would tell, what I would tell you to do, Curtis, is uh, just put set some up- money in the S&P 500, keep it in your own name. Set up a separate account. And keep it in your own name. Don't put it in the kid's name and have your parents fund the existing 529 plans you have set up for the kids. That's how I do it. We don't have to make it super complicated. Over the short term. Correct. And if there's a ton of money that shows up at some point in time, you can change it. You can always gift that money in a separate account to your kids at any point in time in the future. Okay. Right? So, and, 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 okay. Unless, you, then, unless you think you're going to inherit more than 10 million bucks worth of assets. Okay, well, what would we do in that case? Well, first of all, you'd thank your uh, in-laws for all their hard work. (laughs) But I wouldn't, wouldn't, unless they sat down and shared their estate and their estate plan with you, I wouldn't count on anything. Just telling you. We aren't. Okay, so if you want to set aside money for your kids to give them at some point in time, just set it up in a total market. Use the Vanguard total market. Set it up. Fund the thing on a monthly or annual basis. Have the 10 grand that your grandparents are pointing 
pushing down, go into the kids' 529 plans. And then I'd revisit it. You in put three 10 years. grand a year into the 529 plans? For each one of the kids? Yeah. They're going to end up with 200, 300 grand by the time That's what I just said. And then revisit it in three or four years. You can always stop funding the 529 plan, but you should take it now. The younger they are, the more tax advantage it has. Well, and it, it, it's not subject to the estate tax the way it's set up like this, too. Correct. And so that way I would do that and revisit it in three or four years. So, grandma, 10 grand. Each kid, you set up a separate account in your name. I agree with you. Thank you, Scott. <laughs> That's what I would do and revisit the next couple of two Yeah, revisit years. three or four years. All right. Appreciate the call. All right. Hey, thank you guys very much. And good luck on uh, that new little guy that's coming out. Uh, How exciting. Coming out uh, quickly. But if the grandparents were going to give him a couple hundred thousand right now, you probably set up a separate trust today. Oh, 100%. Yes. Because there are some benefits. They're just extra work. A little cumbersome. Yes. And they the can. tax rates don't work well on them. Anyway, we're taking a quick break. This is All Worth's Money Matters. Stick with us. Can't get enough of Allworth's Money Matters? Visit allworthfinancial.com slash radio to listen to the Money Matters podcast. Welcome back to Allworth's Money Matters. Scott Hansen, Pat McLean. Thanks for sticking with us. Yeah. It's um, the break. But if you're a podcast listener, you can join us on the 29th of, well, even if you're not, you can join us on the 29th of March where we just open up the phone lines for two hours between three and five Pacific and just take your calls uh, on any financial topic. So it's 833-99-WORTH. And that's, again, March 29th between three and five Pacific. That's right. And we'll be sitting in the studios, smiling and taking your calls. See, Scott, I want to talk briefly about it's. It hasn't been in a lot of the headlines, but I thought it was quite interesting. Um which are U.S. listed Chinese stocks. And some are dually listed and some are just listed in the U.S. So the Chinese, China has its own stock exchange. And so yes. sometimes in order to get to the broader capital markets, they will list the same stock in both China and the U.S. But China, the Chinese governance is much different than just about the rest of the, the, rest of the world. So if you are, as a non-Chinese, an owner of a Chinese company, you don't really own the company. Yeah. You, own, you have some rights, but not like you would a, a typical common uh, shareholder. You, you, you're, yeah. You, you have an, you're, you're tracking the, the like share value. You have like a, uh, an interest in the profits. So- the securities in the last uh, weeks... That wouldn't say it right either. Anyway, it gets it, a little complicated. It, it's, it's like a shadow stock. Yes. Um, that could be canceled. It's like, <laughs> oh, we decided that we didn't want you to have the shadow anymore. I almost said Chairman Mao is going to take it back. But that would be a little bit out of date. <laughs> the Securities and Exchange Commission named five companies that have failed to hire auditors that could be inspected by the U.S. Uh, regulators. So the SEC, essentially. So what happens is... In order to be listed in the U.S. stock exchange, there's got to be some confidence about the numbers that you're actually reporting. And so you have to actually hire a recognizable firm to audit the books and come back and say, it's clean, or we have some concerns. That's what the auditors yes, yes. do. Or they'll put in a you footnote. You need to count for it a little differently. Yeah, this is a problem. And so that the investors can make an informed decision about whether the books and are And typically, the larger the company, the more... The, we use one of the big fours but, accounting firms. But 10 years audits. ago, we didn't. 10 years ago, we did not. We, we used a small little auditing firm, and now you have to use big ones as you get bigger and bigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And more uh, regulatory uh, burden, if you will. Uh, so there are five companies look like they're going to be delisted uh, from the U.S. stock exchanges because they have not allowed the U.S. regulators to look at their books or the books that that's have come weird. from... That's <laughs> weird. Chinese companies are not letting us inspect the... 
the entire books of the companies. Right. And so what they're saying is part of it is because some of these companies are big tech and it's proprietary information that cannot be shared with uh, regulators or auditors. Was this proprietary information that they developed or okay. stuff that they stole from us <laughs> and then repurposed? Well, you know, it's a one of the, but this one is, is Yum China is one of these companies that, uh, that that may be delisted. Yum China, Yum Brands, Yum Brands, but, KFC. Well, yeah, there's Yum Russia too, right? So Yum is all over. You know, they everyone loves fried chicken. Let's just go with that. Yeah. So um, it's like the antithesis of healthy food. The Yum Brands, okay, probably right. But they were spin off from Pepsi, which is a nutritious product <laughs> in and of itself. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, at one point in time, it was all under Pepsi, the Doritos, the another nutritious, more nutritious foods. <laughs> the Taco Bell. My, whole, my point. The Pizza Huts, the Thank KFCs. <laughs> Yum brands. Is that all under that? That's pretty funny. <laughs> pizza, chips. Give <laughs> <laughs> me the extra big gulp. The six on the sixty-four ouncer. Anyway, interesting. I thought it was interesting. So delisting because, and this is what, this is political and regulatory risk in an investment. Well, China, I mean. There's always. When it first had the opportunity to invest directly in China. You don't. I yeah. was a suspect of this time. I yeah. remember years ago, a client called, Scott, what do you think about China? Like, what, 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 what do you mean, what do I think about China? Like, it's a huge market. There's, a, you know, one point. Four billion people. Right? And, you, and you have no idea what they're doing with your money. That's the problem. Right. They could just report anything they want. I I, I was in it's China. Hard. How many years ago was this? Before the uh, Beijing Olympics, so fifteen years ago or whatever, a little longer than. And uh, talking to this uh, Chinese businessman, I tour this factory and stuff. This guy says to me, he says, "Yeah, well, if you set up a business in China, you always set up two businesses." So what do you mean? He says. Well, the first business, you'll set it up, you'll staff it, you'll have things going, and one day you show up for work as an American, and no one's there, and you found out that they set up shop across town, all your workers and all your intellectual capital, has all went across town. That's what happens your first go-around. The second go-around, because you've learned the first time, you know what uh, roadblocks to put in place so that to prevent that them. happening. From well, this. but think about this. So it's hard enough in the U.S. where you can audit these books that, we could go through a list of companies that have cooked their books and blew up, right? Yes, and it's been good. It's been public, very public, when these things have happened. Yes. And so you, to go to a place like China, so I actually see this as a really good thing that the SEC is delisting these stocks, saying we have no confidence in their financials. Which tells other companies, look, if you want to be listed on the United States, if you, a U.S. stock exchange, NYSE or the NASDAQ, you need to abide by these rules and uh, allow auditors to audit your books and provide certain. Yeah, uh, you can't just say we we think it's proprietary information that the U.S. government shouldn't look at. Well, you can, but it's not. Uh, you're going to be delisted. Yes, and you, less access to one more capital market. Yeah, China is one interesting place for lots of reasons. Yeah. Anyway, let's take some calls here. Let's start in Iowa and talk with Dave. Dave, you're with Allworth's Money Matters. Uh, hello. Hi, Dave. Yeah. Uh, I was calling uh, with questions, I guess, probably similar questions as a lot of people have. Is, right. uh, you know, can I retire and things like that in a few years? And the answer is, we don't know. Let's talk about it. <laughs> That's like yeah. a lot of callers. <laughs> when, how old are you today, Dave? Uh, 51 and my wife is 52. Okay. And tell us about yourself in terms of, if you want ask us the question, do you have a specific question or do you want to know generally, are you on the right track to retire at a, some age in the future? I think probably generally is the question. Okay. Um, we've got, uh, I guess right at, uh, I guess 2.2. Uh, saved, uh, and uh, we're basically we would have both would have a pension, uh, and actually starting I guess at fifty five or fifty six, and I guess right in there is when we would intend to hopefully retire, uh, and I guess the pensions uh, would be between the two of them right at ninety thousand, um, and just kind of 
I guess part of that other dollars is some Roth money also in there. Most of it's 403. Okay. And so, but the 2.2, um, the 2.2 million dollars is all of, is your, all the assets is your house paid for. It is not, okay. but that's a, the house is not the equity in the house is not included in that. I understand. What's the value of the home today? Uh, right at 400,000. And what do you owe on it? Uh, 140. Okay. And, um, what's, what's the, what's your annual income right now? Uh, 150 between the two of you. You right. have no problem. Uh, you'll retiring. be retired comfortably. Very, very comfortably. Okay. No, none. Um, no, no. Here's the, here's, uh, here's why we just like, no, don't need to even talk anymore. So your gross income is $150,000 for the family. I imagine it's grown over okay. years, but you've managed to live beneath, beneath your, your income level and saved 2 million bucks. Right. So you don't, it's not like you've been spending 150. You're spending something less than that. And you're, you're going to receive a pension of $90,000 a year. So you wouldn't, well, you wouldn't need to supplement much to get to your same standard of living. You might be at it even yeah, with the pensions. Could, yeah. You could probably retire today if you had the $90,000 a year in if pension. You the pensions. If you had the $90,000 a year. Because right. what you're we just asking to do is to replace less than three. If I took the $2.2 million and I did a 2.7% distribution, I'm going to make you up to 100% of what your income is. And remember that hundred fifty grand in income, you're taking some of that and saving it towards retirement. So you're not even living on all that. You are more than fine. That's uh, wonderful. And I guess as far as asset allocations, I guess most of that uh, is probably, oh, 75, 25 Perfect. or 70. Because I guess I'm, I'm figuring the pension is somewhat of a fixed or bond. Totally agree. I guess. That's a great way to look okay. at it. I, ideal. Ideal way to look at it. Now, and if you look at it that way, I mean, you might need two and a half million bucks to generate 90,000 bucks a year in income. Right. At least, at least, right. at least a couple million. So on the fixed income side. So of the you could look at it saying you already have half of your asset in fixed income. And so how much money do you have in, in bank accounts or in cash money outside of IRAs or 403Bs or 40,000. Okay. I might, the only thing I would possibly do differently, quite frankly, is I would probably, I, I'd be okay. With what? Lowering my distribution, or my contribution to the 403B in order to pay that home off in six years. Well, that, that was my question, or, you know, one of the things I, you know, was like, okay, so in theory, the house should be paid off currently, like in, 20, in uh, I guess it'd be eight years. But yet sometimes I go, well, maybe our income might be lower and we can pull more out. Uh, you know what? It's a, it's, a, it's, yeah, a, it's a mute point. Yeah, I mean, it, look, you're, that, that pension's literally, it's going to be worth about $2 million bucks. You've got $2 million, another over $2 million saved. Plus you've got $4.5 million in assets and we're talking with about $140,000 mortgage. It's, it's, uh, that's it's, what, it's, after, when it left my lips, I thought this is kind of stupid. I mean, if you can, if you can not have the mortgage, it'd be better. But it's, it's not going to make payment, any difference. But... Not going to make any difference. Wonderful. You know, if Wonderful. you had, if, if you, you had were much... retiring today, you don't right. So if you're retiring today, one thing you do is said, look, let's just make let's have an additional amount come out of my four hundred one k or IRA or whatever to make that mortgage payment. But this payment's going to be paid off in in eight years anyway. Yeah, it's all. You're perfect. You're a poster child. Just make it to fifty-five. Is there such thing as posters That's anymore? Do kids That's use posters? Yeah, they have posters. Yeah. Oh, they do. Like they put posters no. in the room. You have teenage kids. They put posters in the rooms. Yeah. Or are they memes? Yeah, no. Are they non-fungible tokens? So my, thank you for the call. Yeah, anyway, thanks, so my my younger kids, um, uh, fourteen and eleven, okay, ages, they share a room. Oh, they do. But there are two other guest rooms in the house now because okay. the older oh. two are out of the house. And um, for whatever reason, my wife's not, she likes them sharing a room. But they're at the age, they don't like sharing a room. And so they want me to, uh, you know, help arbitrate this situation. Uh, lobby on your behalf, but, on their behalf. But I always remind myself that I'm going to live with this one the rest of my life. That this one's one be my wife. Years. Yes, correct. Okay. <laughs> She's with me the rest of my life. These just a few more years. So I'm thinking I'm siding with my wife. <laughs> right. 
I kind of tried. But the, my, my, the reason I'm bringing this up is my 14-year-old said that she had these posters that she was looking forward to when she gets the, her own room to put the posters up. So they do have, I guess she's got posters. And you can't really let her, you can't really let them put those posters in the empty rooms because then they will naturally occupy. Remember. That would frustrate their mother and probably not work well. Scott, do you remember when we owned, uh, before we sold the reverse mortgage company, we owned, Scott and I started and owned a reverse mortgage company. We ended up selling it to Genworth years ago. But we had these conference rooms that, we're just supposed to be meeting rooms, and the people kept moving their offices into them. Do you remember? I this? do remember that. We only had like, because we only had like four or five physical offices. The rest was just uh, cube fields or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and 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 we really only want needed HR to have their own office because of the personal confidential things that they have. We to wanted deal people with. to be collaborative. Yeah, but these offices would stay empty, and then a week later, you'd move, you'd come into the office. Scott and I weren't working there every day, but I'd come into the office. And next thing you know, these empty meeting rooms were now someone's offices. And you're like, you'd have to go in there and throw them out constantly. So you can't really let your kids put the posters <laughs> in the other bedrooms because then they're going to start moving the rest of the stuff in. Well, and the other bedrooms look like they're, uh, looks like a hotel room now or something. They're all, you know. Yeah, yeah. You, well, you, my you other... filled them up with Ikea furniture. Because they were... My son's was the last one we cleaned up. It was full. There was posters all over. And um, he had like the black lights oh. and then uh, these like some sort of weird paint, uh, bright colors, and then they turn the lights on. And then when friends would come over, they would write things on there. And there were a few things that were a little in a, inappropriate. But you could only see it under black No, light. you could see it when the lights were on. So really? when he left for college, we quickly <laughs> repainted that room. <laughs> hide anything that might not be appropriate on the wall. It's funny. <laughs> That's funny. Now we're in California talking with Gary. Gary, you are with Allworth's Money Matters. Hey guys, thanks for taking my call. I appreciate it. Your yeah. your banter is as excellent as your advice, and I appreciate your time. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> I, maybe I don't know. Anyway, what can we do for you? Well, so I'd like you guys to kind of drill down a little bit on that uh, Reddit GameStop short squeeze that occurred last year. You know, shorts have been going on for a long time, and short squeezes is nothing new. And a big hedge fund that would short a particular stock could have been squeezed by another big hedge fund. Uh-huh. And that could have just kind of squashed that whole that short market. But what specifically did that hedge fund m- mess up on that allowed crowdsourcing and Reddit to, to crush them? Oh, I, well, the, the pro- details are escaping me on that. Okay, so let's for, – for the rest of the listeners, let's explain kind of what happened with the with – it, it, you know, we we could use GameStop as an example, or we could use another of the meme stocks out there. But primarily, the vehicle that they that they were using this crowd or social uh, influence in order to actually press the stock one way or the other. Yeah, and the Wall Street Journal had a pod, like a four or five series podcast on this very topic, which is pretty interesting. I think you probably find it on their on their website somewhere still. But <clears throat> when somebody shorts a security. If you wanted to short a security, Gary, essentially you borrow that security from somebody else, which there's a cost there, and then you then you go out and sell it in the marketplace. And so what, and that, what the hope is – What that means is if I open up a brokerage account and inside of that brokerage stock account, Fidelity, Charles Schwab, TD, you name it, Merrill Lynch, Morgan, and I own GameStop, I – wittingly or unwittingly give them the ability to actually take that stock out of my account and lend it to someone else. So Pat owns game stock. Let's say I go to borrow it with the same brokerage firm. I borrow the stock. Now I I've got it for a period of time. I have to put up collateral and I have to have, there's certain requirements I have to meet. Otherwise Pat's going to, the brokerage firm is going to say, we need that. You got to give us the stock back. We're we're not sure you're going to be able to cover this position. If the price goes. So you would sell short a stock, betting that the price was going to go down, because then you could buy it back in the market at a better price, a lower price, give it back to the original owner of it, and you make a profit. So Scott would borrow this GameStop from me at $10 a share, and then hope the price drops, and then return it at something less than that at some point in the future. So this is a short position. By the way, I just remember this was always fascinating to me in getting the securities exams years and years and years ago, that the exposure in a short play... Unlimited. 
technically it's unlimited. It it could be if infinity if the stock would only go up forever and ever and ever. But it's unlimited. So, but if a stock rises rapidly, what happens is the the borrower may not have enough capital, I mean, a, a collateral at at the bank. So, what the bank says, hey, look, the price is going up. You had some equity here. You no longer have equity. It's been wiped out. You need to put some more cash in here to maintain your your your. your or capital. we're going to start actually selling off this position. Oh, and any other position you have in your portfolio that may not be related at all to GameStop. So what happens is in this, it was a bizarre thing in this meme world, you know, all of a sudden it looks like there's a bunch of shorts on it. And these bunch of guys get together on Reddit and they're like, let's mess with these short sellers. Now this has happened for years and years and years among hedge funds or large institutional investors where they will squeeze each other in a trade just to see how, you know, how much hand they could pull on someone else. But this was the first time that we had ever seen where they actually use social media, Reddit in order to actually get people to buy more of it, more of it, more of it. And all of a sudden these guys were getting short squeezed out of the positions, which means they were either unable to post any more collateral or unable or not did not want to post any more collateral against those positions. And then all of a sudden, those stocks are actually bought back at a higher um, number than what they borrowed it at and then returned it to the original holder of the stock. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally follow that. I'm just wondering what the Reddit people saw or oh. the, uh, the uh, opposing hedge funds missed that drove this oh. engine, or if it was just completely... Well, I think the hedge funds missed... They miss that there's this whole underground world where people are talking on their computer screens all day long and banding together and saying, hey, because the from, from the outsider's perspective, like the, the company is like, how is this games? Yeah. It's all distributed digitally. Like who goes to these games, these yeah. local stores? The retail anymore? thing, right? People thought they were on death's door. And yeah. I think even the people who are buying the stock <laughs> might have believed that. And, and so what happened is they did a technical analysis of that position in the stock. And said, there's no way in the world that this is worth what they're saying. It's it's the same thing you can do. Try to do a technical analysis of the earnings of Bitcoin and tell me what it's worth. (laughs) Who knows? Right? It doesn't earn anything. Right? And this GameStop was just nothing but um, a substitute, essentially, for a Bitcoin. All we are – all – that the Reddit people, and when you say Reddit people, I'm going to include my kids in this, my children, because two out of my four children played the GameStop. They played the games. I'm like, how do you play the GameStop? And how do you play these meme stocks? And they're like, you got to watch it really, really, really close to the Reddit. And the first whiff of anything negative. I'm it, just laughing because you. I think it was last week you said that your daughter, uh, who has a bunch of index funds, has outperformed. You got to see the three other... You're the boys there. She's the only one that doesn't have a degree in business, too. <laughs> anyway, so that's what happened is they the, the, the hedge funds and the institutional investors didn't give any credibility that the stock could move based upon a, a social posting and influencers. They were only looking at the fundamentals of the stock. And by every account, they were right. The GameStop fundamentals did not support the price, but it didn't stop the price from going higher either. So they will, everyone, right. that's why Wall, the Wall Street Journal did a It's a great podcast. podcast. It was like four or five um, because podcasts. Because what it did is, is it changed investing fundamentally forever. Well, that makes sense. They're going to have to start looking at an area that they had because, you know, one hedge fund, like you said, could squeeze out another. They just, uh, you know, billionaires having fun amongst themselves. That's but, right. you know, if you got all these other guys. Yeah, but maybe who knows what kind of group. Across right. And a, a bunch of people all get, gather together and let's let's take these guys on, hold the line. And they just kept <laughs> bidding the stock up and don't sell, hold the line. And like it's like it's they're fighting the hedge funds. Yeah. Really and by the way, it was good for them, too. The guys that were uh, that were screaming, hold the line, hold the line. Because they're what they want to do is be the first guy out when the trade, right? Yeah, the guys right. that are actually promoting it, what they're doing is they're trying to hype the stock. In fact, there was a stockbroker 
that was charged because uh, he was licensed, and you can't do that if you're licensed securities licensed. Like you can't. Was if, he the deep F and value guy? That yeah, is, I'm not gonna say his whole name, but that's yeah, what he, that that's was, what he went well, by. Yeah. Anyway, well, no, appreciate a, the call. Bizarre. You know, it's, those are um, short term wins, not long term. It, it is no way to build a retirement plan. No. As evidenced by my daughter, who I talked <laughs> I about a week, couple weeks ago, <laughs> who buys index funds. Actually, uh, her portfolio is outpaced um, her two brothers. Were, and not like a ton of money. It's not like my kids are buried in money, but they have, they're good savers. All of them? Oh, yeah. Yeah, not the same. I can't say the same. <laughs> right? They're wow. all different. Huh? Well, they're good savers for now. I mean, things could change. Yeah, my my uh, oldest daughter. It doesn't just. It's, I, I. It's amazing. Were you that way? No. Um. That's a. No. Uh, not at that age. Not at age twenty six. You. I were. wasn't a good saver, and you know it's interesting. In high school, my dad told me he was gonna one summer he'd say I'll match dollar for dollar or fifty cents on the dollar, or whatever it was, whatever you have saved in your savings account. At By the, the end, end of summer. summer, I had nothing. Not oh, a dime. Not, your dad. Not was, one dime. It's a pretty clean bet for your dad he knew he knew what was gonna happen so obviously i've changed a bit yeah uh, but i also felt i didn't make didn't have much money in high school i don't know what uh, i don't know how i became no. a saver i had a stockbroker in high school when i was in high school dean witter you're trading you'd be in class excuse me can i have a hall pass please you go use the payphone. phone <laughs> this is pay phone i'd like to buy a uh, hundred shares his name was wayne gillum I don't know why he took on my little account, though. Well, he probably was entertaining for him. Here's some high school kid wants to open an account. <laughs> Old school brokerage firm. I was a senior. It was back in the, what, the 70s? Uh, yeah, 81. <laughs> okay. It's <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> anyway, appreciate the call, Gary. Well, unfortunately, that is about, we only have a minute. Thank God. It's time. It just seems like uh, these hours go by too quickly. But if you haven't been to our website in a, in a while, I strongly encourage you to do so, allworthfinancial.com, mainly because there are, if you find that this podcast, this radio show is, is informative on certain topics, you want to go a little deeper on one of the topics that we had mentioned, uh, speak about, we've got some great tools and resources on our website. We've got... Uh, White papers, we've got webinars, we've got, I don't know, a bunch of different things. Yeah, all kinds of and videos, of explanations that that we produce in-house. Yes. It's our voice. It's Yes. It's our, our opinion. Kind of, our opinion, our biases woven That's in right. with all those things. So I'd encourage you, if you haven't been there in a long time, allworthfinancial.com. And um, I think you'll find it. Uh, yeah. And if you've liked this podcast, please do us a favor and... Go and rate it, please. And you can review it at the same time. So we'll see you next week. This has been Allworth's Money Matters. This program has been brought to you by Allworth Financial, a registered investment advisory firm. Any ideas presented during this program are not intended to provide specific financial advice. You should consult your own financial advisor, tax consultant, or estate planning attorney to conduct your own due diligence.